Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by GQ Fu. He is the co-founder and CEO of LTV+. This is a outsourcing firm that focuses on customer service, primarily in the e-commerce industry. Certainly, that's their origin, but they have expanded well beyond that now. We hear all about their story, their fantastic growth story, and also GQ's own story about working and living remotely for the last few years, even now with uh, with family and child in tow. So it really is, GQ really does embrace the remote lifestyle and what I believe is potentially the future of employment for potentially everyone. So it's a really good conversation and we dive deep into customer service and everything around that industry, especially for e-commerce. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to Outsource Accelerator slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch Today, visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. GQ, welcome to the show. You seem to be absolutely embracing this new norm of remote digital first lifestyle. Where exactly are you talking from? Hey, Derek. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really glad to be here. I'm currently calling in from Vienna, Austria. Fantastic. And you are Singaporean, is that right? Singaporean, yep. Uh, (laughs) Born and raised in Singapore for the most part of my life. Uh, spent the last seven years in Europe, so took a plunge, uh, went over to Poland uh, to start off with, then moved over to Ukraine and actually lived in Ukraine for about six, uh, I think I got six years of my life, thereabouts, yeah. And how would you describe your sort of work lifestyle? Is it is it kind of that free roaming um, digital nomad kind of thing, or are you kind of business how do you blend business lifestyle family and all of those when you're you're on the road as you are (laughs) so i think it was a lot easier when we didn't have a kid yet (laughs) back then so we when we uh, we've been on the road 
so to speak, for like, I don't know. Uh, I think only just for like a good one or two years. We tried it. We did the whole digital nomad thing when we were in Asia. And this was obviously before the kit. Uh, we were in Asia for about six months to a year, but then we realized it was really hard to keep moving from place to place. But I think what was really important for us uh, from the beginning uh, was to embrace remote work. I mean, this was back in what, 20, 2017, 2018, right? I think that was kind of where everyone was going remote and it was like the start of it before COVID came. And so we realized that we, uh, me and my partner, David, we wanted to you know, start a business that would allow for remote work, not just for ourselves, of course, but everyone else. And so uh, living and breathing a lifestyle, you know, for example, uh, David's based in Turkey, I'm based in Ukraine, but our business is in the States. And obviously we travel to the States for business and events and meeting partners and clients. But I think that is like really like the next step for people, you know, just being able to work from anywhere and even being remote does not mean, Hey, it's just always like working from anywhere in the world. It's just even working from home. Because I, I remember one thing that really resonated with me before we started business was uh, when we were working with people from the Philippines, for example, you know, hearing how people had to commute like one way, at least one to three hours every day. So that's like, you know, basically two to six hours minimum. Right. And if you're working a night shift, Having to do that, come uh, having to do that travel, you know, it's just it's just insane, right? And so that's kind of what inspired me to want to embrace that remote lifestyle across both personally and professionally as well. Fantastic! And what have you learned over those five six years? Like you, you think? Do you think it, it's sort of because it took the world by storm, you know? And it was kind of it was growing, and obviously with COVID, it took the world by storm, and a lot of people left there. Uh, sort of stable jobs and homes and went on the road. Do you think that there's, it's going to always be like that and it's going to continually increase? I see David Sachs recently spoke out about remote and uh, work that you really should be in the office and uh, Elon Musk, of course, spoke out about it. Do you think it, it's going to sort of slightly come back from that hype or you think there's no going back? Uh, I think there really is no way of going back because people are realizing, and, and it's funny that you brought that up. I was, uh, I, I saw an article just yesterday. Uh, this is from Liam from Time Doctor. And he yeah. shared an article where people were basically saying like, hey, you know, you need to go back and work, et cetera, et cetera, work in the office. But he, he was doing a lot. I, I haven't checked it myself or fact checked it, but I, you know, I, he's like one of the experts on, on remote work. So I, I take his word for it. He, he has done um, some research around studies about whether or not remote work impacts productivity positively or negatively, right? And I think he did like, I think he went through 27 studies and I think 26 out of those 27 says that remote work is positive, right? It's great for people, right? It's productive. You know, you get a lot of stuff done and you don't necessarily have to be in the office. Uh, but what we've seen is, you know, I think that we will never go back from from like you know pre uh, before go back to before twenty twenty there was no reason to but I think that there is benefit in having uh, on site meetups from time to time right you know let's say if you're all in the same city and you do have an office I think meeting at least once a week or so it's very good because there are things that we've seen you know uh, running LTV plus for a few years now uh, there are things that can be done a lot quicker in person. But it, it doesn't have to be enforced per se. Like it doesn't have to be like, hey, you have to come to the office five times a week, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. more about, hey, let's set this up. Let's get this done together and then do it async or do it remote, right? I don't think there is a, 
I think a blended approach makes sense. And if if there is no possibility of you know being on site, maybe even meeting once a year changes a lot of things, right? But I think being completely disconnected is not something I would hundred percent advocate for. Yeah, it's fascinating to see the world go through this kind of experiment, and it's just kind of figuring it out as it goes along now. But you know, there, there's potentially a few downsides, but there's so many upsides to having. You know, I just see the massive opportunity of having the entire global workforce collaborating, you know, regardless of where you were born or where you're sitting. Um, and I just yep. think the network effects of that are so huge, aren't they? That it's, uh, but I think the world's got to figure out quite how it's, it's all going to work. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch it. So let's talk about LTV Plus. You are the uh, CEO and co-founder of LTV Plus. It's an outsourcing firm. It is then completely remote based. Is that is that right? That that is correct. We well, we were we we started with the idea of being hundred percent remote. Uh, we did have one or two offices in the beginning. One of which was in Ukraine because I was based there, and one <laughs> was in Turkey because David was based there as well. Uh, but no, we've never had an office. We shut even those two offices down before twenty twenty. Just even just before you know COVID really hit us, right? Um, so 100% remote, everyone works from anywhere in the world at this time. That's amazing. And it focuses, so you tell me, it focuses primarily on customer service. Do you want to tell us exactly the the, the sweet spot for products? Yeah, for sure. So LTV Plus, uh, in the name, LTV stands for lifetime value. And this is where uh, my partner David came up with the name because the idea was to basically increase your LTV, your, your customer's lifetime value. And how do we do that? So we started off uh, just offering live chat services with the idea that not only could we provide support, but we could also take on uh, pre-sales questions, right? And uh, ideally increasing conversion rates uh, through live chat, uh, starting off with e-commerce and moving on to other industries as well. But uh, yeah, we, we started with live chat and we tr- gradually transformed into a full omni-channel customer support uh, service, meaning uh, we would operate from a single help desk or a help desk that's integrated with different channels that you have and be able to respond to chat, email, anything text-based and also voice-based, right? Because the idea being that we want to see the entire uh, journey or experience or interactions of a of a customer with a brand that we support. Because, you know, I think this is uh, now, I think it's very, it's a lot more common than it was a few years ago. But before, you know, people would have like, hey, you know, I have help desk that's, and I'm using a separate software to do maybe, uh, I don't know, like social media. And so the experience was like, hey, I already hit up a customer support on, on Facebook, but then you're repeating the same question. And so, you know, with the idea of omnichannel, we want to remove that, right? And so we provide omnichannel customer support, you know, our agents, are trained in you know text and voice and when i say text it means chat email or sms and so on and so forth um and that's really one part of ltv plus and then outside of customer service or support we also offer fill payment recovery services and that's where we because we, we saw that there was a gap where you well, subscription businesses were using Dunning software, right? You know, you can use uh, tools like Trendbuster, for example, or if you're on, uh, if you're using ProfitWell or you're using uh, Recharge, you know, if you're working uh, with e-commerce, uh, there were basic forms of Dunning, right? It would send out emails or, or maybe even SMS, uh, I believe through Trendbuster, you can do that. Uh, but that's 
purely all automated and it does a you know a significant amount of recoveries but what about those that fall through the cracks right do you have someone contacting them be it through uh sms be it through email or be it through voice and that's where we you know uh funny enough a client of ours actually requested for that service and then we started it from there and started doing uh you know fill payment recovery as an extension of you know increasing customer lifetime value and of course there's also uh you know uh, from the shopping cart perspective there's also you know cart abandonment recovery which can be achieved through text and email as well uh with a special uh with a human specialist and were you it, it sounds like the original focus was on e-commerce which of course a few years ago that was kind of everyone was talking about e-commerce I, was that the origin and are you still sort of firmly focusing on e-commerce or is it any customer service generally now uh, yes, the origin, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. So when we did live chat, that was purely for e-commerce to start with. Again, this was 20, end 2017, start 2018. And that was when it was really taking off. And of course, as we know, 2020 was crazy until 2020 and 2021. Uh, so we started off in e-commerce, but we gradually branched out. You know, we're supporting SaaS businesses, uh, streaming companies, you know, you name it, security software. So the, it's a wide range of clientele at this point. Although, you know, I'd say that uh, still one of the majorities is e-commerce for us since that's where we started. And that's what we're really, you know, that, that's kind of just grown uh, organically over time. Got it. And I assume like a lot of these, you know, a lot of the e-commerce businesses, they're relatively smaller and they don't re- like, you know, they don't really have a, kind of a, a sophisticated business necessarily. And I suppose they are grateful to find someone like you where you can just take all of that off their hands and you have the knowledge and sophistication and all of the tools and you can sort of plug it into all the right things. And it's really quite a turnkey solution for all of that um, inbound, outbound customer service and sort of um, care life cycle. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, we we usually have a consultation with, uh, you know, with the different businesses that do come through and we figure out with them, you know, kind of what their setup really requires. Right. You know, we depending on where you are, like you said, like some of the businesses are smaller, some of them are, you know, doing like, I don't know, eight, nine figures a year. Right. Uh, but it's a wide spectrum. But I'd say that, uh, you know, even for the smaller ones today, especially, you know, 2023 it's been a rough year i think for quite a number of businesses uh, outsourcing has been really interesting and also figuring out you know how big of a team do you really need and so it goes all the way to some like starting from a fractional agent where it's like hey can you just do like 20 hours a week for us to get on customer support all the way up to hey you know we need a team of like 20 50 people can you help us with that right um but i think outside of just having humans uh you know like having obviously specialized agents and taking the best practices across the board and, you know, um, helping each client out. I think there's also the question, and I think a really big topic that's come up, I mean, everyone's talking about it now, and, you know, um, it's how do you implement technology to help you with customer service today, right? And there's a lot of talk around AI, and it's really amazing uh, what some of the uh, new startups are doing uh, today to help customer support with AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, talk about that but first with the with the e-commerce uh, you know ha, so have you seen it come off the heat a little bit and are you seeing still you know good like how's that market going generally it it seemed to really kind of struggle all those e-commerce aggregators and stuff 
uh, sort of imploded a little bit. Didn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'd say that there it's it's cooling off. You know, you're right. I think cooling off is a really good way to say it. Uh, but there are some uh, verticals that are still growing uh, at this time, which is really interesting. Uh, so there are. I would say that it's it's kind of evening out across the board. So you don't have that crazy growth anymore, uh, as as you as we saw two years ago, one or two years ago. But now uh, it's starting to even out. But still, you know, I, I would say that e-commerce is still growing. Uh, it's just at a more realistic pace, I think, than what people are used to. So if you were to compare your growth in 2020 or 2021, you're definitely going to be disappointed, right? But if you were to look at it across the board, you know, uh, as long as your business is still growing today, it's still, you know, it's still going. It is possible. But I would say that, yeah, I'd agree that it's it's cooling off at this point. And how do you see its awareness of outsourcing? I see e-commerce as they're, very, they're highly advanced in terms of using global workforce. And in fact, I would think that very few of them actually use local localized staffing. Um, everyone is sort of using VAs and offshore staff and all that. Would you would you agree? Whereas, you know, if, you, if you're sort of talking to plumbers in Minnesota or accountants in Brooklyn, you know, they're, they're still kind of old school, but e-commerce has always sort of embraced the the global workforce. Yeah, and I think it's developed rapidly from the point that, you know, uh, there was this, and I think now it still exists, that, you know, people want to start their own businesses, right? And I think e-commerce was one of those where people could wrap their heads around how, you know, uh, how could I start a business from anywhere in the world? Uh, you know, when we talk about the embracing the uh partial digital nomad lifestyle or, you know, working remotely. Uh, and so, you know, e-commerce, e it's, you know, like, yes, uh, we talk about physical fulfillment and stuff, but you have a lot of 3PLs to help you with that, right? You know, you, you can basically be, uh, you just figure out where you register your business, but you could be operating from, I don't know, from, from you can be operating out of Indonesia, for example, or Thailand, or you could be operating out of, uh, I don't know, Europe, right? But, you know, you're selling to the US market as long as you have everything set up. So uh, I'd say that, yeah, everything, it's, fairly uh, outsourced or they could even be in-house, but they're they're remote, right? So, uh, you know, I, I know, for example, some of the brands that we work with, uh, there is a very, their core team, like onshore, uh, you know, or local team members, the size of it is really small. And so the majority of them are, you know, maybe in other parts of the country or they could be in other parts of the world. So and I think that because of the way that, e-commerce is as a business, uh, you know, I think that that allows for that flexibility a lot. And staffing then, you know, this this whole thing with a global workforce, and I truly believe in sort of 20 years that everyone will be um, selecting their workforce based on capability and cost and quality as opposed to location, you know. Um, yep. But when, when it is completely remote and you have embraced remote, where... Where are your limitations? Like, do you do you have 180 staff from 180 countries, or do you sort of find countries that are more suitable? The sort of common trod paths, you know, such as uh, obviously Philippines, India, Ukraine, maybe, uh, and stick with those. Or how do you approach your global hiring? Um, is it literally anyone in any country can apply, and the best succeeds? Uh, great question. I would say that if this was maybe one or two years ago, it would be from anywhere. We we tried it, uh, frankly, and it's 
we would be very open to hiring from like you know like i said 180 people from 180 different places that's that's completely fine i think where the where, where the problem comes is or where the problem happens it's um when you want to gather people it becomes a problem especially for an outsourcing company like ours you know we have to figure out what's the best way to get people together right you know and if we were to fly 180 people <laughs> from different parts of the world to one single location uh, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, uh, right? And so yeah. I think that's what limits us or we set limitations in the sense of, you know, we decide which specific countries that we, you know, we already have a sizable amount of uh, workforce there and then we just expand, continue expanding there. And of course, we move on to other parts of the world depending on the languages, the capabilities required and skill sets and so on and so forth. I think that's kind of how we view it from an outsourcing perspective. But you know, as a as a business that wants to embrace remote work, and if if you know, uh, bringing people in, and because we're very manpower based, right? You know, like obviously as an outsourcing company, the the larger you grow, the more people you have, right? You know, as a bigger company, but you know, let's say if you're an e-commerce or SaaS, it's not the number of people, right? You're looking at you know how you can keep your business lean, and maybe you have like 10, 20, 50 people. Uh, and so you probably have more room to play when you want to bring people together. And I think it's what I shared in the beginning of this uh, of this uh, this recording is, you know, that having that in-person meeting at least once a year is, I think, very important, even if it's just within a like a specific area. But if you can fly the entire company in for a company retreat together, that's amazing, right? And so uh, I would say that if you're not limited to, you know, if you're not, if you can basically fly people into one place anytime, depending on where you are in your business, hire anywhere and it's completely fine. You know, I don't think there's a need to to focus on specific areas unless, you know, you're running a manpower business and that, that probably is a consideration. Right. And what about, what about different cultures and sort of ways of working? And, and then of course, time zones and things like that, but do you predominantly work asynchronously? Um, but primarily, you know, what about just kind of cultures, getting people to to be aligned in terms of their work styles and methods? Uh, that's a great question. So we have, I think from a time zone perspective, we we would prefer if people were working in their daytime or at least until sort of like closer to midnight, right? As, again, as an outsourcing company, uh, that, that's, that's how we view it so that... Uh, because you know, obviously, working the night shift uh, on extended hours, it's unhealthy, right? You know, unless some people choose to do that, there are people who really function better at night, and they prefer that. So that that's obviously given. But um, time zones, uh, we have, for example, uh, when we have company events internally uh, online, we would either do one or two events simply because we want to have people across time zones uh, meeting each other. But there is that usual. I would say there's like maybe a one to four maybe four hours is a little bit wide, but one to four hour gap in a day that allows people to meet up uh, face to f- oh, online face-to-face on the video call. So that helps a lot, but most of the work is async. Yeah, you're right. Um, and because we have teams built in each different country uh, within a specific time zone, uh, that allows people within that specific time zone to hang out more, so to speak, right? Um, so... Uh, you know, time zone wise, uh, that that's one, and how often people sync up. That's that I think that kind of clarifies that. If we're talking about cultures, it's really interesting because you know uh, the common language, obviously, in LTV Plus that we use, it's 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 in English, right? So everyone is fluent in English. Everyone can uh, can catch up with each other. And what we do to help 
uh, people understand each other better is also understanding, uh, you know, hey, what's interesting and different about each other's cultures. There's there, there are exchanges once a month, for example, or every quarter, right? You know, so people understand more about uh, their, their, their teammates that they're working with from halfway across the world and not just be uh, stuck there. And I think what's interesting is when people first join a company like ours, they're, they're, they may not necessarily be used to it because they're used to working in a company that's, let's say, uh, with like a like a they go to a physical office right so everyone's basically from that country or like you know uh, they're not used to like having that um uh those differences but i think that because once they come in they get they go through the onboarding they meet people there is that gradual acclimatization that happens within the first uh first month right and after that you know i think people sort of get used they, they get used to the new work style and that you know it's pre- pretty much very open you can chat with anyone you know and i think there is some learning and unlearning to do as a result so uh, I, I think by working with people from all over that takes a bit of time but once you get used to it uh, it's very easy to kind of uh, integrate everyone yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And typically then, would your clients work with allocated staff, which is the sort of staff leasing, staff augmentation model where, you know, they get, I don't know, Jimmy in the Philippines and Jackie in Central America um, to manage their customer service requirements? Or is it sort of, are you sourcing from a pool and you are providing the deliverables and the staff are not necessarily um you know, working directly with the client? Uh, I think it's a hybrid approach. So we, we, we have this managed service where uh, we hire the agents on behalf of the clients, obviously, right? Um, and we, you know, depends on the headcount that they require. Let's say they need a team of 10 agents, for example. We recruit those 10 agents based on, first of all, very importantly, what type of an agent profile they're looking for. So, you know, we spend some time with the client understanding, hey, would what, what kind of an agent profile would work best for your brand, right? You know, we don't just hire anyone. Obviously, we can train people to learn about a product, uh, learn about the products and the brand, but ideally we would recruit someone who's already passionate about that vertical, for example, right? Um, and then we'd also look at the time zones or like the coverage required. So if we're looking at 24-7 coverage, can we recruit people that are uh, working in their daytime across the, those 24 hours, seven days a week and with the team that they have and how do we allocate manpower? Um, so in that sense, you know, we recruit agents uh, based on their requirements and it's not not say specifically like, hey, like you said, um, John or, or Jane or someone that is uh, tied to the company. Like, you know, let's say there's a need to uh, maybe re- swap an agent out because maybe they, they might not be the right fit. We know we do that because at the end of the day, you know, we want to uh, meet those SLAs that are set uh, or in this case, you know, we want to meet those uh, metrics that are set or goals that are set. And with the right amount of people that they require. Got it. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's it's amazing how it all plugs in. And are there some days where you just think, "Gosh, I would just love everyone to be in one office here, and I could just you know sort of see them and reach out to them, and they're all from the same town, and they all." Or do you do you see that you know the benefits clearly outweigh the 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 complexity of of managing that? I, I think it goes, so there, there are two parts to this. One part from the, from our side, let's say from the company's perspective, it would be amazing. It would be really cool to have people come in, you know, uh, because, you know, as, as it stands, like, you know, having an LTV plus office, like a building or whatever, right. Um, having people come in and hang out. I think that's really cool. Uh, but I think that, you know, uh, 
we have been in the remote space, like we've been working remotely for so long that it's worked really well. And I think that we'd rather spend that on those in-person meetings and we make those memorable, uh, really memorable, right? And that people have a really good uh, experience, good memories, and they get stuff done together. I think that's probably more important at this point versus, you know, having people in an office and managing them. Um, I, I don't think there's a need to have that, uh, uh, what do you call that, head over the shoulder? Is that what you're looking, looking over the shoulder, right? No, no need yeah. for looking over the shoulder kind of thing. But um, what, what I think is interesting on the, the other side is that, you know, uh, when clients do require that this is more from a security perspective, then yes, you know, we would definitely be very happy to to have a physical office so that people can come in, work, and, and leave their, uh, you know, their hardware there, everything belongs to the company. So this would be probably more from a security and uh, client requirement um, that we would do this. Uh, but I think what I look forward to is actually meeting, uh, meeting our staff, you know, face-to-face at least once a year or once every two years, depending on where they're located. Uh, that that to me is probably more important and establishing a really strong connection. Fascinating. So you mentioned earlier AI and like everyone is talking about AI uh, and not least in the customer service CX industry. Um, and I think the industry is a little bit fearful that these AI bots could take over, you know, at least some of the more basic customer service roles um what are your thoughts on that and are you getting a lot of requests from clients to sort of you know kind of ai it up a little bit <laughs> um, <laughs> ai it up i like that uh, so we can talk about the the fear concept first uh i think that as with any new technology there's always uh you know there's always the unknown right um you know i i cannot comment on the safety of ai i think i think there are way more intelligent and way more experienced people who are tackling that topic right now but on the topic of customer service and customer experience i don't think it will um, destroy jobs per se i think it's going to enable people to do more uh one thing that i like uh that i got from uh liam when we when we met uh, back in lisbon uh, I think he, was, he said something that, you know, AI would actually create better quality customer experiences. Uh, why is that? So uh, we talk about, so there are two types. I would break down AI for customer service or CX into two things. One, you have the AI uh, bot or agent, right? We used to call them chat bots, but now, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different. It's not just a simple chat bot with a workflow. Uh, the first level of Customer service would be, you know, you would probably converse with a with AI that will help you find your orders. Like we talk about e-commerce, like track your orders, refunds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, answering the very uh, common questions that do come up, right? And that would alleviate or that would lessen the workload on your customer support team. So that's one. Then on the other side, when it does get to your human agents or your human team members, right? You know, it's more complex inquiry where they need to have a much longer conversation, and that. Uh, maybe at this point, AI cannot handle yet, right? Uh, that's where uh, the second part of technology comes in, where you have AI assistants, where you know they can analyze the questions and provide certain responses or uh, certain information to the agent, so that the agent does not have to re- does not need a longer period of time to get back to a customer. In fact, they would have that information in front of them because the AI assistant has already provided that information, and it is up to the human agent to curate the response, to curate the information to give back to the customer. And so what you see is number one, uh, we basically filter out the more uh, repetitive inquiries and complex inquiries, 
uh, at the first level. And then the second part is that when it does reach a human agent, the human agents will have so-called superpowers through AI assistance. And as a result, you know, customers are very happy because they either uh, do not need to spend much time with, a, uh, with, uh, with an agent because they got their responses really quickly, or they will get a really good and fast response. And that allows your uh, team your current team to support many more customers at a higher quality as a result. So that's kind of where, at least what we're seeing today, you know, we started testing uh, both types of uh, AI technologies right now, um, you know, from, from the agent perspective and from the customer's perspective. And we're seeing that it's a huge plus. In fact, um, you know, our, our team members are super excited. Like everyone's like, hey, you know, let, let's learn more about it. What can we do better? What else can we do for our clients? What else can we use for ourselves at LTV Plus as well? So I think that, the one thing is to embrace the technology and understand how well you can use it for your business or for your customer support team. You know, and I think that even as ourselves as an outsourcing company, you know, we see the value in providing this to clients or being able to support them uh, when it comes to implementing some level of AI in their business. So I think there is no real um, fear factor in that sense. Like, you know, just mm -hmm. basically learn more about it and how do you use it? And I think that, you know, you'll be fine. And, you know, you mentioned you are a staff and you're an outsourcing company in customer service. Is there now an increased pressure or expectation on you that you are engineering these technological solutions because you almost become a de facto tech, um, you know, solution provider, don't you? And, and are you then judged on your ability to sort of engineer the best AI solution, whereas actually, you know, fundamentally, you are a staffing solution provider. So does it does it kind of like, um, uh, you know, the is there a bit of an inherent conflict there because you are a staffing company and you're not an engineering company? Does that make sense? Um, yet, everyone is now expecting, you know, even though AI has only been out six months, everyone's now expecting the latest AI tools to be fully integrated into all of their CX processes. Uh, great question. So I think, first of all, it is definitely our responsibility, even though we are a customer service staffing company, uh, to learn more about this technology and also be able to recommend. You know, we don't we don't develop our own proprietary technology, but we do work with a lot of great partners. And the moment we saw that, you know, these different startups were coming up, we're like, hey, we want to learn more about what you have so we can offer it to our clients, too. You know, we're out there talking to partners every day, like saying, hey, you know, can we test out your technology? How does this work? Who can we apply this to right now within our within our uh, within the clients that we support? Right. Um, so, yeah, I think in a way people turn to us uh, for, you know, like figuring out like what kinds of technologies they can use. And so we would piece together and recommend uh, partners that we already work with, uh, right, for them to check out, uh, evaluate. And also we help them uh, implement those tools to figure that out. So from that perspective, I think we, we are we can consider us more of the implementers and managers versus the people who actually create uh, those technologies. Right. We work with. Uh, the partners to learn more about what they do, get certified as well where possible, and um, figure out how to best use it in their in their business. Because you know every business will have similarities across like what they like to automate, but each vertical is different. The kind of responses they're looking for, the personalities, so on and so forth. So yeah, I'd say it would probably become more of like a a mixture of like a consultancy and a staffing company. Mm. It definitely you know, and you've seen that with. CX customer service generally, like it used to be 20 years ago, it, it was sort of very straightforward, but now it's highly complex, isn't it? Not just the fact that it's omni-channel and you've got to manage all the channels, but it's also social media. It's also all of the tools. It's also the sort of outbound 
kind of branding aspect of things as well as the inbound uh, client solutions, it, it, it's just expanded massively, hasn't it? And the complexity of, of what it represents is, is huge as well. Um, so I suppose that, that's representative of industry generally. Everything is always building in complexity. Right? Yeah, and, and I think what's what, but what's really exciting about this is that because there are so many different layers to this, um, what what enables like I think it's this, it's a really exciting time for businesses because right now you know even more so than five years ago, right? You know when you started a business, you had these different tools and uh, possibilities, but now uh, even uh, even as a big company or as a smaller company, you know, you are able to do a lot more with technology than you could before. And I think that that enables you to create or extend yourself. <laughs> I use the term like extend yourself a lot more through AI, through not even just AI, but like through the tech, uh, through the apps and, and you know, uh, tools that you work with on the market. Uh, what's also interesting is, for example, uh, like you talked about different channels, uh, you know, some uh, AI agents, uh, for example, are able to do it across, are able to converse across different channels as long as they're properly integrated. And I think that we're now seeing how uh, businesses can bring everything together into one place, or ideally one place, right? Maybe one or two places. But you know, having that approach, not just through uh, agents conversing, but also from uh, from operational standpoint, I think that's really really exciting right now. It's, yeah, it is, it is, isn't it? And it, it, you've got to see it with excitement because, gosh, things are changing so, so fast, aren't they? So GQ as well, I want to ask you about um, people that are still on the fence about outsourcing. And I don't know if too many people are on the fence in in e-commerce, um, but what do you say to people that are still sort of assessing whether offshore, whether remote, whether outsourcing is right for them versus sort of maintaining their in-house local local team. How do you approach that conversation? Uh, so I think, first of all, it's understanding, you know, what are they looking to achieve when they outsource, right? So, I mean, typical, I mean, like the, the usual reasons are like, hey, we want to cut costs maybe, right? And then reallocate the budget into investing in the business, maybe in its marketing and so on and so forth. Uh, so... And, but but their concern is like, will the quality of work be the same? Or will, will you know will we get the quality that we need? And I think that's where you have to this you know when we talk about outsourcing, it's figuring out you know who you really are, what, what do you want to address, and who are you looking for, and what your budget is, right? And then figuring out what a solution is there, right? Uh, you know, and we never advocate uh, outsourcing an entire department. We always have like, hey, you know, you usually have at least. Uh, one or two team, uh, like, you know, maybe managers or directors or VPs, right, that are in charge of that department. Now, you could outsource most of it, but, you know, all, you will still have that level of control and direction uh, because you're, you're, you've hired a core team member that's been in the business uh, much longer than a partner has, for example, that can impart the knowledge and that can share the vision of what the company wants to achieve. So I think that you know, um, for companies that are still on the fence, I think think of outsourcing as, you know, becoming the extensions of your business at a much more affordable uh, rate. And that allows you to reinvest that money into how, how you grow your business in, in different ways. And of course, uh, to have that level of control, just make sure that you have your um, key or core team members uh, managing these different departments and having that uh, good relationship with your partner. Because I think that, Every outsourcing, or, you know, every outsourcing company wants to become a partner at the end of the day. They don't just want to just, hey, you know, here are here are pe- here are the people that you need and call it a day. Rather, they want to figure out how do we help you get to your business goals, right? And really, at the end of it, it's not just 
working with team members abroad, but also tapping into the know-how or the experience of your outsourcing partner to find out, okay, what are some best practices that we might have missed? And I think that when you outsource, you do get that uh, extra, you get you do get those benefits as well because then, you know your outsourcing partner would have seen other businesses uh, maybe in a similar vertical as you uh, succeed and they can share with you what works. And it's the essence of specialization, isn't it? You know, like these e-commerce people typically aren't specialists in customer service and often many of them, you know, they don't want to focus on the customer service. It's a kind of costly um, necessity of doing business, whereas it's, it's your focus, yeah? <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. exactly what you focus on and, and you optimize that and whatever you focus on, you're really good at. Um, it just makes sense, yeah? Yeah, and I think that you know, like that's a that's a really interesting point. I think that you know, customer service should shouldn't always be viewed as like a, a necessary cost that people don't want to do. I mean, think about it this way, right? You know, it's it's all about CX these days, right? You know, you want people to have a great impression when they shop with your brand or they use your software, right? And so, if your customer experience, uh, like if your customer service team is not there or you're not providing the right customer experience, then it's going to leave a lasting impression. And I think impressions always matter. Uh, you know, that I think that that's something that people, I think, I think it's changed now in 2023. I think a lot of people understand the importance of it. And I, I saw a post the other day on LinkedIn where, um, you know, uh, someone was saying that customer support is a career now. You know, people used to have that, I guess, uh, they had this stereotype before where it's like, you know, CS is something that progresses on into customer success or whatever. But today, you know, that's different now, right? Customer support is a great career to look into as well, because, it matters the interactions that are being provided. It matters how you deliver those experiences or how do you support that overall CX strategy of your business. And if people are still on the fence, but they want to, they want to try, how do you suggest people, um, you know, do that on ramp successfully? If they start with one person and the person's disappointing, then they could sort of see the whole outsourcing thing as a failure. So do you suggest starting with a small team or, um, how do you kind of ensure that success and, and get an early win to build confidence? So the first thing to understand is what can you outsource? What are things that um, that I, I don't I don't I don't know if putting it this way would be right, but like you know what are the things that um, so referencing Dan Martell's book of Buy Back Your Time, like you know what are some of the things that you know that you would rather delegate because they are not necessarily the ones that generate you the most income. So let's say even if you're a solopreneur or if you're a small team right now, right? What are some things that you know that you can outsource uh, instead of you spending your time on them because you know your your maybe your time is much better spent on growing the business which will obviously you know increase your revenue tremendously versus say I don't know, managing your inbox right so you know if we talk about customer service like what's what's the first what what's the what are some of the simple simple things you can outsource from the beginning to test that relationship out so could it be extending coverage over the weekend? Could it be providing 24-7 coverage today so that your in-house team can focus on maybe uh, improving how customer support is, you know, uh, maybe working with you on strategy, for example, right? Instead of, you know, answering tickets, right? So uh, I think that would be a good first step. And to your point where what if the first person you hire it doesn't work out? I think usually if you work with an outsourcing partner today, they would do their best to figure out, you know, uh, which agent or which person you're going to get. Uh, and ideally, they're going to deliver a great candidate to you on the first attempt. However, uh, most or if not all outsourcing companies would already have, uh, let's say, other candidates on standby just in case. So if something somehow doesn't work out, 
you know, you know that the outsourcing partner will do their best to get you someone that will that um, that will be right for you. Maybe on the first, maybe not necessarily on the first try, could be the second or the third. Um, and there's usually a bit of an onboarding period as well, so that both businesses learn about each other. But I think once you're over that, that time invested and money invested is worthwhile because you know you start to see how you know how that pays you back, uh, like in, in a huge amount over time, right? Because you know your time is saved. You're focusing on how you can actually grow the business or improving your department and you no longer have to worry about this uh, certain aspect of your department function for example yeah fascinating and gq for you is it vienna is it vienna that you're in are you you're staying there for a while or are you uh, you fancy moving on uh so currently in vienna but uh yeah we 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 might be moving <laughs> again uh, my wife has this joke that i constantly I, I cannot get settled anywhere like i move every six months to a year it's a it's a running joke even in the company now but yeah we're, we're in vienna for now for for a while until maybe towards the end of this year and then we might uh, move back to warsaw uh back to poland because it's a lot closer to ukraine and it's uh, easier for us to stay in contact with family and also help uh, with the situation uh, i mean the current uh situation that's happening obviously the war that's going on yeah 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 exciting exciting stuff so gq thank you so much and if people want to reach out again i encourage everyone to reach out to have a phone call and see how it can transform their business and specifically you know according to their business needs so uh, it's great to reach out if anyone wants to learn more or connect with you how can they do that Sure. Uh, you can look for me on LinkedIn, uh, GQ at L, uh, GQ space LTV plus. That's the best place to find me. I usually respond to my LinkedIn pretty quickly. Uh, if not, you can just drop me an email at GQ at LTV plus.com. That was GQ Foo of LTV plus. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, just send us an email to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.